0: and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you too can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur.
1: This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being here with me today. I so appreciate you. I'm so grateful for every moment that we get to be together, that we can come together and live and thrive as entrepreneurs, as people, as the person who is running more than anything, the business of your life, who's making the difference in this world that only you can make. And I'm so grateful to have this time with you that we can talk about how to live and love and thrive. Today we wanna talk about going outside of the box and growing. When we go outside of the box is often where the growth really exists. There's so many things that are supposed to be done this way and what I'm hearing more and more all the time is about how somebody took and kinda threw away the box and then really began to thrive, really began to grow because of the fact that they looked at how can I do it differently and even more so, more effectively? What are the things that people need to know? So, especially when you're talking about your small business, there are a lot of things that maybe a Fortune 500 company does do that you A can't afford to do and B. Really, they wouldn't really work for you anyway. In fact, what you'd find if you work in some of those corporate places is that often those um, corporate crazinesses—they don't really work there either. There can be a lot of times a lot of waste because of all of the things that are inside of that box that we want to throw away today. We want to go outside the box and grow. We want to live and breathe and expand to think of things on the terms of what works best for us and for the people that we're meant to serve rather than just simply looking inside of how it's supposed to be done to look outside of that to be inspired to find our way whether that be using some tips and tricks that we get from other people or we discover a whole new thing based on the experience that we've had so that we can live and thrive and make this world a better place. I want that for you. I'm so excited about what's going to come out of even just today's episode as we meet with a couple of wonderful entrepreneurs and they share some tips with us about how we can go outside the box and grow. Let's jump into it. Join me in welcoming Clay Mosley. Hey, Clay, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Steve. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world.
2: Uh so let me let me give you the kind of the short story <laughs> is uh I like I have quite a bit of a past so like I'm uh, kind of the short answer is I'm a marketer. Um the a little bit longer answer is um I spent 10 years after graduating from college like getting fired from almost every job that I had. Uh, I think it was like a total of 8 jobs in 10 years. Um and I figured out that I was not a very good employee <laughs> so I went out on my own, started a marketing agency in twenty fifteen I grew that agency from twenty fifteen to twenty nineteen to uh we were doing over a million dollars annual recurring revenue. I sold it twenty nineteen and ever since then i I founded a company called dripify um which is a which now I'm just a marketing consulting uh company. Uh, where I almost act as like a, like a, like a CMO for, for small businesses, a a chief marketing officer, if you will. Um, So yeah, that's, that's my, that's my almost 40 year story in a nutshell there.
1: (laughs) So yeah, that's cool. Uh, Tell us a little bit about um, the system that you use and, and how you set yourself apart from all the marketing companies that are out there.
2: Yeah, this is a good question. Um so like my sole focus ever since I I sold my agency, um I I figured out that this was not the best thing for small business owners. And so what I mean by small business owners, I mean businesses who do business locally, um which is the majority of America. Um and I I figured out that like the agency model is just it's it's messed up in my opinion. So like what I mean by that is is that agencies typically focus on like one, two, three different services. Um, so it could be like a website or it could be SEO or it could be ad campaigns, right? That Those are the, the three typical things. And I figured out one, that uh, small businesses have a tough time uh, funding an agency to do those things because um, it's usually in the thousands of dollars per month. Uh, two, those three things three services sometimes like i'll just say three to five services um that's like three to five things that out of like a hundred that actually need to be done and so that's where i was like okay as soon as i sold my agency i said okay my my sole focus is to help uh small business owners create an internal marketing system that they can drive um they just need a little bit of help and guidance to build that out. And that's what I do. And so like, this is why agencies hate me now. <laughs> so like, I am pretty much like against agency model. So that's that's what I do. It's like, you know, I, I help build out an entire marketing system um, that I would say is like 80, 90% works on its own once it's all built out.
1: So are there any magic bullets? Are there any things right now as we're currently talking that are like, man, if you could just do this one thing, it would make night and day difference in what you're doing in marketing.
2: Um. Okay. So I'm going to give you the worst answer in the world and I'm going to say, yeah, it depends. <laughs> so I hate that answer. I hate it when people give me that, answer, but it really does. It's like, um. but if I had to sum it up, so every single time I do, uh, I, I look at somebody's marketing systems, what they've done, what they haven't what they haven't done, and things like that. I look at it from you know the entire client journey, so I look at like how do they get generate brand awareness like to people who have no clue that they exist, and then also how do they close them as new clients, and then how do they take those clients and turning turn them into raving fans who refer business to them um and I look to see everything in between, and see what the gaps are. So if I had to like going back to your question, the one thing that people can do, if they can do this is look at their marketing system from beginning to end from prospect to new client to raving fan, and figure out where people are actually falling off and fix those gaps. That's, that's like, as soon as you can fix those gaps, like you will see immediate return. It's it's crazy how many gaps are, are missing in people's marketing systems.
1: When you're dealing with a client um, all too often, I bet you've heard this before. I wish I would have met you sooner.
3: <laughs>
2: what are, uh, yeah.
1: What are some of the kind of things that you find yourself saying to them all the time that they're like, Oh gosh, I wish I would have only known that sooner.
2: Yeah, it's um <laughs> I I do hear that all the time. Um and which is why I go on shows like this so people can can hear about me. Um I would say like probably the biggest thing that they say that about is um it it's just simple things. It's just very simple things that they're not doing. And it's like i say hey are you doing like so for example today I, I had a conversation with someone today and and i said hey how how big's your email list they said oh it's it's about 5000 people i said okay when's the last time that you emailed them oh it's i don't know maybe like a year ago and i'm like there's 5000 people right there that you can constantly nurture over the past year that you haven't touched at all like just start sending emails and like that was like and then what and what i did i i i said look we're gonna have to like you haven't sent them an email in a year we're gonna have to warm them up you can't just go in and and start blazing with with a whole bunch of emails you're gonna turn a bunch bunch of people off and so i wrote them an email uh as far as like what they should write or what they should send and i and i i wrote it up short simple um, and they sent it out and boom, they got like 12 new. So this is a chiropractor, 12 new patients right off the bat. Half of them were old patients that just needed to be reactivated. And the other half were brand new people. And so they said, oh my gosh, I can't believe I hadn't been emailing these people, uh, this whole time. And so that's a really good example, like something that actually happened this morning. So, and
1: you said your specialty really is kind of local businesses dealing with local people. Um, it, did I hear that correctly?
2: Yeah, yeah. More specifically, service providers. So um, they provide a service to their local community. So chiropractors, dentists, um, financial planners, you know, those those types of pest control, the trades, um, that type of profession. Do the... Uh
1: what are the nuances when you're talking about local service companies in their local market versus um you know a company that wants to have a across the country or international kind of outreach
2: um so what are the nuances well so like
1: are there things that are different yeah
2: um yeah it's it's quite a bit different. I mean, there and you also have to take an account too that like there are some small business owners who provide a service locally who expand into several locations and then all of a sudden now they're regional um and then they can go even beyond that so i I've worked with both company or both types where um companies that i I would categorize like the the people that i work with in three categories. Um, I'll put a fourth category in there, but like the first one is a single location service provider who provides, I'm in Austin, Texas. So like, I'll just use that as an example um, who provides a service here in Austin. And then there's a second category of like, okay, it's somebody who started that way, but now they have several locations and then they're, they're regional. Um, And, but, but each location provides a service locally um, and then there's a third category where they they may not provide a service locally or they do, but it's it's on a national level, so like basically anybody in the country could use them and a real simple example is like um is someone like Amazon, right? like they don't have retail locations but but anybody in the country can use them right so um and then there's the fourth category of like just brand, right? Just brand, uh, like a, just a big brand, um, recognition, like someone like Nike or Coca-Cola, um, who they're just everywhere. Um, Amazon is like that, but, um, I would say Amazon's different because they're, they're, they're direct to consumer. Whereas someone like Nike, um, I would say most of their stuff is, uh, is wholesale. So, to, to your question, like, what are the differences? Um, it, it, the really the local business owner and the, the owner, the companies that have locations in several, sorry, um, where they have places in several locations, different cities, that's essentially the same, except, um, it's just multiplied. And so like, if somebody has a pest control company here in Austin, um, single location, but then they have, but then there's another company that has, um, uh, also a pest control company who has locations in Austin, Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, right? So, like, each one of those has their own marketing strategy because the markets are different. Um, and then you compare like Amazon and Nike, the, those big national brands, that's a much different play. That's, that's more of a brand play in my opinion, where it's more of a blanket um, versus geo-targeting. So those are like 30,000 foot view. Those are the differences.
1: Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate that. So you were talking about the email that you wrote for this person, just kind of hopping back to what you said with that. Um, And I know a lot of people, uh, there's so many people that have advice. You know what I mean? How often is not enough and how often is too often to email your list?
2: This is a good question. Um this is a super highly debatable question. Uh my opinion is I think you need to do it twice a week. That that's that's my my recommendation. I think I think weekly is the absolute um uh, I I like that's the absolute like minimum amount I would say. I would not go I wouldn't go, I would, I would at least go minimum uh, weekly, but I would go twice a week. And the reason why that is, is because it, I would. I used to say just once a week, but we've gotten to the point where like media has evolved into what it is today. So like, if you compare 20 years ago, you know, social media didn't even exist. Um, Cause like Facebook was like, what, around tw- 2005, 2006, um, and then the other words, the other ones came after that. Um, and so 20 years ago, it was all about search, it was it was traditional media, like billboards, magazines, TV, radio, um, that kind of stuff. So like the media, the, the the need to grab somebody's attention, also the difficulty to grab someone's attention, what is not as hot was not as high as it is today. So which means you need to do two different things today. One is you need to be a hell of a lot more creative and and grab their attention and two more frequent. So the volume, so both quality of creative and the volume. So that's why I'm like, you need to go twice a week versus once a week. I think if you go more than twice a week, you're going to start annoying some people. Um, you know, I, I know some people, some marketers that say day, do it daily. I'm not a big fan of that. I think twice a week is a perfect balance of of hitting them pretty frequently without without setting off the annoyance alarm. So
1: when they're writing those emails, um, are they pretty much just letting people know what's going on in your business? Or are we going more towards a sales letter? Is it, you know, hey, I just want to be not your friend, but you know, an acquaintance of yours and and connected with you or, or is it more salesy, which, which is really best?
2: I actually think it's, you got to go more towards, um, a, I would, if I had to put it in a category, I would put it as a friend who you respect, right? So not just a friend who, who's just a friend. I got plenty of friends who I'm like, I don't want, I don't want their life at all you know what i mean but they're really good friends um but i got a friend like i got friends of mine who i'm like man i re- i respect that person so much that's who you want to be to the to your to your audience so um if, if i had to break down tact in a tactful way um so two emails a week which is 8 emails a month i would say i would say um 6 6 of those emails need to be value driven emails that's it Just nothing but value, no sales, copy or content at the end. No, nothing like that. Just straight up value. Uh, Two of the emails need to be salesy. So call to action to actually buy your thing. Right. And then um, and then I would I would actually throw in one more. And really, this depends on the business. And I would just do one additional email per month. That's more of a traditional newsletter, e-newsletter style. That's like different broken up in different sections of like, hey, here's what's going on in, in the industry here. Um, here's some things that you need to know about. It's just highlights. Um, perfect example of this is like The Hustle. The Hustle has a, a really good e-newsletter. Um, so yeah, that's that's the way I would break it down and then do just rinse and repeat that every single month.
1: Perfect. Well, I know there's some people that are going to want to go deeper with you on this. Um, for people who are interested, what kind of people do you like to work with?
2: Um, I love to work with service providers, specifically in the health industry. So they may be chiropractors, dentists, doctors, surgeons, nutritionists, therapists, anything like that. Um, or, uh, But that's my favorite segment. Um, but any, like if you're, if you provide a service of any sort, like it's really, it's all the same in my opinion, as far as like how you market yourself. Um, it's just, you start, you just have a different product. Um, the, it might be more clear of like who I don't work with is anyone who sells a physical product. So retail stores, um, or e-commerce stores, I don't work with them.
1: Perfect. All right. And uh, give us the uh, URL for us to get a hold of you again.
2: Yeah. So if you want to know more, it's uh, I actually point people to um, I have a Facebook group community. It's free um, where I give tons of tactics where that you can immediately use yourself. Um, so like me and my team, we run through a lot of experiment marketing experiments and we, we test them out and if they work, we share them and we share our results. Um, but if you want to be part of that group, just go to get slash group. So it's dot Y.com slash group. Uh, and then, uh, you'll, you'll find your way through there.
1: Perfect. I appreciate that. Well, thank you, Clay, so much for being here on the show with us today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a, ton of, it was a lot of fun. I love it when a person
1: says, and now the traditional organization that I used to work in, they really hate me because I'm doing things differently than the way that it's supposed to be done. I love that phrase because it's when we go outside of that box and find a new way and a better way to do it that we really truly grow in a way that sometimes inside of that box we were never going to get to. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we will be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur.
4: Look at talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny.
0: Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur.
1: This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today as we take a look at going outside of the box and growing. What's going to happen in your life when you go outside of the box, you begin to do things the way that you know they should be, and you begin to grow. Let's join in with our next guest and see what other things we can learn. Join me in welcoming Connor Boyack. Hey, Connor, how you doing today?
5: I am really well. Thanks for having me, Steve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world.
5: So uh, I man, grew up in San Diego. I live in Utah now, and uh, I am what I like to call a full-time freedom fighter. I believe passionately about individual freedom, people's uh, right uh, to be able to kind of do whatever they want uh, as long as they're acting peacefully, not having red tape and regulations and roadblocks in their way. I think society is better when people are Free and when their kind of unique ability and genius is unleashed and and not suppressed. And so I run a nonprofit called Libertas Institute. Uh, fundamentally, we exist to kind of change laws and remove a lot of these roadblocks so that people have more freedom. And then I'm also the author of a whole bunch of books, including a, a, a children's series called The Tuttle Twins, which teaches young people about you know entrepreneurship and money and freedom and uh, personal responsibility. And so we've sold millions of copies and really just trying to help the rising generation learn these powerful ideas that often aren't being taught in schools anymore. And so that's kind of a big part of uh, what we do now.
1: The series sounds like a lot of fun. So, um, you know, you mentioned things that aren't being taught in school um, and stuff has changed so much just over the course of the last couple of years. Are you finding uh, parents and the kids open to this information that's just so completely opposite of what they often are getting told? um, Or are you running into some new resistance from what's in the books over the course of this last little bit?
5: I would say not only are we seeing that there's an openness, there's almost a hunger. Uh, I I would say, especially after uh, COVID or during and after COVID, we saw a lot of parents worried about what their kids were learning they saw the state of the world and shutdowns and mandates and lost freedoms and so they're struggling how do i talk to my kids about this how do i help them make sense of the world and and so our books i mean just really exploded in terms of sales and and distribution uh we sell thousands a day i have a warehouse just full of 30 teenagers who just pack books all day long to ship them out there's just such a demand right now and so if I put my kind of thumb on, on things and try and assess why that is and what's happening. Yeah. It's not just that there's an openness. It's that there's a hunger, the state of our world and inflation and everything going on is such that a lot of parents are trying to figure out how to give their kids a grounded foundation in understanding the way the world works, not the crazy stuff on the news and TikTok and you know, from their teachers at school. But like, what's actually going on? What is actually truth? People increasingly feel like, I think, from my vantage point, people increasingly feel like um, there's this game show on Netflix. I think it's still going on called The Floor is Lava, right? And you can't touch the floor. You have to jump from one obstacle to another. So the floor is, is fluid and dangerous. And I think a lot of people feel like they no longer have this sure footing of what they're used to, the institutions they've long trusted, right? The schools and the media and so forth and the government, they're now seeing that everything is fluid and chaotic and they can't, they can't uh, rely upon that foundation. It doesn't exist. They feel like they're jumping from one thing to the next. So where our books come in is they offer parents who are on the search for truth and for those foundational ideas of, of free society, the, the ideas that have bettered people throughout world history, right? Parents can finally say, okay, here's something we can trust. Here's something we can read as a family. We can have discussions around the dinner table. Yeah, the world is chaotic. Yeah, my kids are going to be subjected to all kinds of crazy out there. But here at home, we can talk about these ideas together. We can give my kids a a foundational understanding, a lens through which they can look at the world. They can be uh, skeptical about what they're told. They can be critical thinkers rather than just accepting things. And that's really where the Tuttle Twins comes in is to be that uh, crutch or that support for parents who are looking to provide that for their kids.
1: Mm, Love that so much. So um, did the book just kind of take off for you and and develop a life of its own? Or did you have something specific and strategic that you did to, uh, you know, prime the pump to get it to now where you're selling thousands all the time?
5: Well, the the Tuttle Twins started just as a single book that my partner and I, Elijah, who's our illustrator, we just wanted that book to exist for our kids. We had no grand vision of what it has become today. There was no master plan. It was just, you know, we want our kids to learn these ideas too. So we made a book. A lot of people bought it and they said, well, when's the next one coming out? And so we did a second and a third. Now we have books for toddlers, for teenagers. We have curriculum, we have a game, we have a cartoon series that's out. We're building just this media empire to provide kids of any age, no matter how they like to learn, content that can help them learn how the world works. And so what started as just a, a project born of, you know, my buddy and I saying, hey, we want this to exist for our own kids, has now blossomed into this thing that's you know, helping millions of kids around the world. It was very organic. It was, uh, again, no master plan. It was just us figuring out how can we create value? You know, what stories can we share to help parents talk to their kids? What are kids curious about? You know, what can we teach them about? And so it's been a spontaneous thing that's evolved as the world has changed. You know, COVID went crazy. So we started producing content that was, you know, responding to what was going on at the time and really just trying to, be dynamic rather than kind of concrete we just want to say what's happening in the world and what are parents struggling with and so what can we create in terms of books or stories or cartoons that can help parents better talk to their kids
1: i love that so um you know for somebody who's unaware (laughs) i thought of some other things but uh unaware can you give us a simplest explanation of what um personal freedom is and how it should look?
5: Yeah. So, you know, the Declaration of Independence, the genius of the founding fathers in, in breaking away from Great Britain as they did, you know, a lot of the ideas that were believed and expressed and debated at the time are what we now call classical liberalism. Uh, this is contrasted against what we might call neoliberalism or modern liberalism, which is more, you know, compelling people to do things and and uh, you know taking from people, you know, to redistribute wealth to others and big government programs. Classical liberalism was quite the opposite. It was very much this idea of uh, you should have the right to do whatever you want as long as you do not harm anyone else. It's a very live and let live type of approach, or what we uh, sometimes use the French term laissez faire. It just means uh, kind of a libertarian would be the modern equivalent of it that personal freedom ultimately means that if you want to have chickens in your backyard you should be able to or if you want to paint your fence brown go for it right or if you want to have a lemonade stand on your driveway you shouldn't need a permission slip from the government bureaucrats to do that right obviously if there are opportunities to actually harm people that is when regulation may be appropriate that's when laws may be appropriate But if no one's being hurt, if there's no problems, rather than the government banning you from doing something or restricting you, you should have that fundamental free right to act as you please as long as you're doing it safely and you're not harming anyone else. This was kind of the aspirational vision of many of the founding fathers. That's the kind of uh, perspective that classical liberalism holds. We've obviously veered very far from that today. And it's something I think a lot of entrepreneurs bristle against because they're trying to start businesses. They're trying to create solutions to society's problems. And they're often running into these regulatory hurdles and these barriers and they have to get these permits and it takes forever and they have to pay all this money. And a lot of people who uh, try to start a business ultimately fail not because of the market response, right? Not because of customers, but because of uh, government red, tra- red tape. Here in uh, Utah, where I now live, food truck owners, uh, as happens across the country, uh, here in Utah as well, they were struggling, many went out of business because in every city they went to, they had to get permission slips and they had to pay money and they had to get inspections. And when you're operating on razor thin margins in the food uh, industry, you know some of these food truck owners Uh, folded because they simply could not uh, afford to pay for all of these permits through our think tank, we, Libertas Institute, we got the law passed uh, here in Utah to create what's called food truck freedom, where now you just get one permit and you can operate anywhere in the state. And that's exactly where I say these ideas need to be defended, right? These, These freedoms need to be protected because if we don't remove the red tape, if we don't remove the regulations, they can create actual harm for some of these entrepreneurs, micro entrepreneurs, families, and so forth. And so we not only believe that these ideas are worth teaching as we do in our children's books, the Tuttle Twins, but we actually think that we need to go build campaigns and go try and get the laws changed and actually put them into practice so that, you know, these entrepreneurs can have the ability to go start their business and pursue their own American dream without all these kind of regulations getting in their way.
1: So for the person that's just dipping their toe into this, you know, maybe they're frustrated and they don't know what to do, what would be a great way for like a good first step into expressing your own personal freedom for a person? What, how can they get started?
5: That's a great question. A lot of uh, people might find this intimidating. Uh, You know, the, the public square is a very intimidating place, boisterous opinions being, you know, shouted back and forth. Um, and, and I think a lot of the concern stems from ignorance. Um, and so I think the first thing that people want to you know, do is start paying a little bit more attention to what's going on in the news, become more informed, uh, follow what's happening, read different outlets, don't subscribe just to one, right? read uh, different perspectives. You can go read international news. Sometimes they have much different perspective of the same events that can be very informative. So I think the first thing is just being informed. The second thing, easy way to start, I would say, is get connected with others. This can be something as simple as a book club where you get together every few weeks with some friends in your community or church or business or whatever. And you say, hey, let's talk together. Let's talk through these things. It's going to give you more confidence in uh, challenging ideas, expressing opinions, having kind of a safe, controlled environment in which you can kind of navigate some of these ideas. Out from that, you can grow into doing cottage meetings, invite the mayor, invite your local senator, um, invite political candidates, You know, support a candidate, go to city council meetings, go to your, like things can grow, but start by planting a small seed and do that in a very simple and safe way. I think book clubs, discussion groups are a fantastic and simple way to just get started, warm yourself up a little bit to what's going on in the world and talking about it with other people and then just see what grows from there. Your path and your you know, listeners' paths are all different than mine. So it's wrong of me to say, do this or do that, or here's the best recommended path. But I think the best way to start is by learning and discussing with others. So following the news, talking about it in something like a, a study group or a book group, and then just see where things evolve from there based on your own you know, skill set and circumstances.
1: It's a really great piece of advice. So... And I know myself and I know a lot of other people I've talked to found themselves early on in the lockdown of COVID, uh, you know, kind of glued to the TV screen. You know, we were watching news, didn't matter whose news it was. It was just, you know, got to know what's going to happen next kind of a feeling. Um, How do you quickly develop the skill set of taking in information rather than being, um, you know, indoctrinated?
5: Oh, that is the million-dollar question. So you know it's tough because ultimately a lot of the uh, sources that we might call news, I think, are more you know infotainment. They're more propaganda mills. They're more interested in getting clicks and eyeballs for ad revenue than they are in truly uh, informing uh, us as individuals and empowering us with truth. So this is a very uh, tough question. You know, I, I think fundamentally, we have to, before consuming news, be intentional about it. Don't just scroll Facebook or scroll Fox News or MSNBC or whatever. We have to start with a question. And that question could be something like, what do I hope to gain from this? Well, I I want to spend 20 minutes reading up on the news, and I want to come away with something that I don't pretend to know everything about because I read an article Instead, I want to come away with something I can do more research on. So maybe I'm going to read these 10 news articles. Okay, these things are happening around the world. Oh, this looks really interesting. Let's say it's, I don't know, Ukraine. So the conflict in Ukraine. Well, rather than pretending that by reading some reporters, you know, eight paragraphs and suddenly, you know, what's going on. Instead, we might say, well, chances are this is biased or it's incomplete or it's, you know, intentionally misleading. So instead let me use this article as a springboard to go research that particular topic. Let me go compile five or six resources, watch a YouTube video, find an independent journalist maybe on Substack or something where they're not part of a corporate media, right? They're more freelance and thus perhaps more uh, truthful than, you know, the corporate media. Use use your study time, use your your news consumption not as a Uh, means of coming away and being informed because you won't be that superficial level of, of consuming media is not a way to become informed. I think it's a great way to springboard yourself into more research to say, Hey, I want to become more informed. I need to spend more time. I need to read more sources. I want to go deeper on this topic. And maybe then I can do a presentation at my study group or my book group, or we can find a book about this or whatever. Um, But I think the wrong way to consume media is you know, you go to a party, people like spout these little blurbs that they read on a news article or I, I scanned Twitter and I saw this headline and suddenly I pretend to know something about it. I think that's the wrong way to do it. I think instead we need to recognize that we don't want our opinions to be our opinions to be shaped by journalists that we don't know, shouldn't trust, that have a poor track record of telling the truth. Instead, let's invest the time appropriately to going deeper and collecting multiple sources on topics that are of concern and interest to us. It does take time, right? You have to sacrifice perhaps other things and not just think that 15 minutes of scrolling and reading Drudge Report and these headlines is sufficient to become an informed people. So there is a sacrifice, there is an investment of time. Uh, But ultimately, if we want to engage in the public square, if we want to contribute something to the world, if we wanna make a difference, or if to your question, If we just don't want to be subjected to propaganda and be manipulated by other people, that investment of time is important. And we need to be intentional about it and recognize that there are people out there who do want to propagandize us. There are people there who do want to mislead us. Let's go into our study of of the news with eyes wide open so that as cautiously as possible, we can try and minimize their influence over us.
1: So, um, so somebody who wants to go deeper with you, how can they get in contact with you?
5: So, uh, I'm really easy to find online. If you're curious about our Tuttle Twins children's books, if you've got grandkids, nieces, nephews, kids, whatever, that's all at tuttletwins.com or we're all over social media at Tuttle Twins. And if you'd like to learn more about me, uh, I've got a little, uh, info page up at connorboyak.com.
1: Well, Connor, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Thank you. When they say that isn't the way that I was taught it. I love that phrase because that means something genius is about to come out. Something outside of the box that's going to change this world is about to happen when it starts from, but that's not the way it was supposed to be done. And then that's the path as far as I'm concerned to living as a thriving entrepreneur.
4: Talk with Steve, it's proven, it's guaranteed, it's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny.
0: Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur.
1: This is Steve, welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. As we go outside the box and grow, what are those things that just by simply doing them the way that you know it should be, but it's never been done, can be and do and grow and thrive in ways that people haven't even looked at yet because of the fact that you began to think outside of the box. I want you to think about that as we listen to our last entrepreneur here and our last interview and see what things outside of the box you could find in your own life today. Join me in welcoming Caleb O'Dowd. Hey Caleb, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Steve. How are you doing? I am good, thank you. So tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world.
3: Yeah, so I uh, got into this game of internet marketing and uh, sales funnel marketing. Uh, About 18 years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, move from Ireland, where I'm from, to uh, live in Miami with Uh, one of the greatest legendary figures in the game of um, advertising and marketing. His name was Gary Halbert. And uh, Gary actually got me into business at the young age of 21 and uh, really had no business experience whatsoever. But under Gary's uh you know mentorship uh my brother john and i we launched a business that generated a million dollars uh in its first year and we went on to just start a whole bunch of new businesses thereafter and over the last 18 years <clears throat> we have uh launched quite a number of uh businesses on the internet and more specifically around uh the business model of sales funnels and we have sold you know, um, all kinds of products from information products to health supplements to coaching and consulting to uh, agency services and more uh, via various different sales funnels. And and these days, what it is that we do is we essentially help sales funnel marketers optimize their sales funnels and uh, generate sales at a profit on cold traffic in large volume.
1: So all of us want to have a million-dollar business. Um, What is the secret?
3: The secret is you have to have, uh, you know, something that is worth a million dollars worth of value, number one, Um, and number two, you need to have a methodology of getting your product or service out into the internet. And uh, you need to have, you know, and that's a sales funnel. You pretty much need a sales funnel. A sales funnel is a uh, a vehicle that, that goes out and essentially communicates with a, a stranger, gets that person to become interested and excited and inspired by what it is that you have to offer, and then ultimately uh, sells that that uh, person on the product or service that you have to offer and uh, returns you uh, a profit on your advertising. Um, And uh, that is essentially the sales funnel strategy for growing a business on the internet. You create a product or a service, you create a sales funnel to go out and advertise the sales funnel turns your advertising dollar into a profit and then you are able to do two things with that profit. Number one, you're able to you know have a living uh, and have a life and pay for your your lifestyle. And number two, uh, a portion of that profit gets rolled back into advertising, which allows you to grow and grow and grow and grow and, grow and still maintain that that profitable business. So you know, the internet's always changing. <laughs>
1: um, you know, there was a time when you could pretty well start the top of your funnel off with, Google ads, and, and then it was Facebook ads. And what is the thing that you're finding is really driving good traffic to the top of that funnel to be able to then have the people funnel down to ultimately, of course, being sales?
3: Yeah, you know, when it comes to large traffic platforms such as Google and YouTube and Facebook, there really is no such thing as bad traffic. Um, you know, obviously there there is, you know, not all of that traffic is created equal, but certainly when you're dealing with Facebook, Google and YouTube, you're dealing with really, really high quality traffic. And, you know, any one of those three platforms um, can potentially be a fabulous fit For you and your business and your sales funnel marketing and advertising activities. It just really depends on who you're targeting. You know, um, it's not about is one traffic source, at least in the top in the discussion of Facebook, Google and YouTube, it's not really a discussion of which one is better. It's more of a discussion of, you know, which one has the type of prospect that you're looking for, which one allows you to reach the type of prospect that you're looking for for your particular business, um, but all three of them are really great. All three of them we specialize in. All three of them we do significant volume in, and you know, really, all three of them are fabulous traffic sources. Um, it's never a case that, you know, Facebook was good and now it's not good anymore. Um, really, that's that's you know, that's an illusion. That's that's kind of just you know, has been repeatedly demonstrated time and time again to not be the case. Um, You know, the the people that have been succeeding with Facebook or Google or YouTube, um, for the longest time, continue to succeed with that. Um, it's more, you know, when you have kind of maxed out one of those, that it's it's it makes sense to go and start diversifying in other traffic sources. But pretty much everyone, the whole world is on YouTube. Um, you know, the whole world uses Facebook and Google. So, um, you know, it's not, if, if something, if your business isn't working, it's not going to be because of one of those three traffic sources.
1: So... Um... How much do you rely on the methodologies you create on paid traffic versus organic traffic?
3: I rely exclusively on paid traffic. Um, I think that organic traffic, you know, matters and it can be great. And, you know, there are people that do really, really well with it. But organic traffic is very much a slow process. It's actually a lot of work and uh, it's inconsistent and it's not reliable for scale. So if you want to go from one sale a day to a hundred sales a day, you're not going to do that with organic traffic very quickly or very easily. But, uh, you know, you can certainly do that, uh, you know, with cold traffic, you can do it quite uh, quickly, provided you have all of the necessary systems and 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 business model in place to do that. It's really just about spending more to get more sales. So I like the ability to control uh, the growth of my company. I like the ability to control the revenue that we generate. And uh, I like the efficiency of being able to just simply flip a switch and spend more money and acquire more customers. If I want to go from one sale a day to a hundred sales a day uh, with my YouTube channel, as an example, well then that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. I've got to go and record a tremendous amount of content. Um, I've really, really got to work at that for an extended period of time. And even after doing that, for an extended period of time, there's really no guarantees that I would get there. So I like more certainty. I like more control. I like the ability to, um, you know, control the speed at which my business grows. And for that, for those reasons, I pretty much almost exclusively use paid traffic sources.
1: What is a person looking at um, realistically that they should be putting in Daily, weekly, monthly ad spend in order to be generating enough traffic that they are going to get the kind of results you're talking about?
3: It's never really about the quantity of traffic as much as it is about the quality of the business model that you have in place. So, you know, if you want to go and a very basic a uh, very, very basic rudimentary understanding of this would be, you know, if you have a business model where, you know, your average order value is $20 versus a business model where your average order value is $20,000, then, you know, it's, it's the, the, the quantity of traffic that you're going to need to, um, you know, generate a very substantial amount of money is going to be vastly different from one another. So it's, it's really about the kind of business model, the structure the the strategy that you have in place more so than the quantity of traffic um you know it's not really about the it's not really about the the quantity of traffic as much as it is, you know, about the, the monetization strategy that you have in place. You know, what kind of a journey are you bringing your prospect on when they come in the door? Um, that's really what it's all about. And I think that a lot of people who approach the sales funnel business model don't really understand that. They think that, you know, it's it's just about whipping a uh, a sales funnel together, getting it out the door, start driving traffic to it. But usually those types of sales funnel marketers ultimately kind of run aground. They don't really go very far for very long. It's the people that really build a strategy, that really have an understanding of the long-term plan of what they're, of the journey that they're going to be taking their prospect on. Those are the people that kind of succeed long-term and really kind of dominate their industry, dominate their niche, and just seem to crush it with cold traffic no matter what they do, you know?
1: So would you recommend that um, somebody just dive in and do it themselves or should they take a training class or um, what's the best way to learn how to be able to do this so that you're doing it the right way?
3: Well, you know, I always uh, think that it's a smart idea to learn from people You know, who have reached a very, very high level of skill and savvy and experience and expertise, because obviously that's going to shorten the length of time that it is going to take for you to be successful at it as well. You know, I've been doing this for 18 years and still um, every single month I spend about a thousand to five thousand dollars. Uh, purchasing products from various different companies um, and reverse engineering everything that they do so that I can make sure that I'm constantly at the cutting edge of what's working best and most profitably out there in the industry. So I'm constantly learning from people myself, even though I've been doing it for 18 years. And I think that anybody who, you know, would attempt to go and, um, you know, learn any skill In isolation without some sort of an education without some sort of a mentor, be it an in person mentor or a mentor through you know books or something like that is, is, uh, is really not going to go very far. Um, So, you know, certainly. Um, you know, I would consider myself, <laughs> uh, I, I hope it doesn't sound too arrogant, but I would certainly consider myself and, and, and the Scalers newsletter that I offer to be one of the greatest resources out there for learning how to succeed with sales funnels. Um, as I said, I've been reverse engineering sales funnels. I've been responsible for creating some of the most successful sales funnels um, You know, in the internet marketing niche specifically over the last five years. Um, But I also spend, as I said, you know, one to $5,000. I've been doing that for maybe eight years, reverse engineering all of the top sales funnels that are out there in the industry and just kind of dissecting them and sharing all of the greatest tactics and strategies that, you know, the top guys, the elite guys in the game are using um, these days. So, uh, but really it's about studying your competitors. You know, Um, if you can find somebody in your industry who's using a sales funnel and is doing so very successfully, then these are the types of, you know, people that you should be studying these are the types of you know uh, funnels that you should be paying attention to it's a case of you know modeling success and you know the more you can model something that's successful the higher your likelihood will be of you know actually having a successful funnel or, or developing any sort of skill that is uh, you know that you're interested in you know so I think you absolutely must learn from someone if you want to achieve whatever your goal might be in the fastest easiest surest, way possible.
1: So first of all, what kind of people do you prefer to work with?
3: Yeah, so certainly, you know, the the type of people, you know, so if, if anyone who wants to join the newsletter can join the newsletter, but certainly the type of people that we work with um, are usually people that have sales funnels. They are generating sales uh, on a daily, weekly basis. They're looking to optimize. Uh, their funnel, they're looking to increase their conversion rates, their average order value, their return on, uh, you know, ad spend and really any business owner who's just looking to scale and grow. Um, If, you know, someone has an email list and a sales funnel and an offer that's converting, then we can pretty much, you know, explode the growth of that company in a very short period of time with, with, you know, the systems, the tactics, the strategies, and the procedures that we use.
1: Perfect. I love that. So, um, Give us some detailed information. How would a person uh, get in contact with you?
3: Yeah, so you could go to scalers.pro. Uh, you know, scalers for scaling. So s-c-a-l-e-r-s.pro. Uh It's a free video newsletter, and uh, you know, if you're on the list, there's there's plenty of ways to reach out and contact me. So um, anyone who wants to learn from me or learn more about scaling sales funnels. Um, or sales funnels in general or marketing, direct response marketing or, or, or advertising can just go to scalers.pro and sign up for my free weekly video newsletter.
1: Well, Caleb, say, thank you so much for being here on the show with us today.
3: I appreciate it, Steve. Thank you for your time.
1: There is so much out there, businesses that need to be started, sales that are just waiting to happen, and all it takes is for you to begin with this concept of going outside of the box and allowing growth to come in, to not be restrained by one way of doing things or the way that you've always been told it should be, but to simply look at what's the best way to get it done right here, right now. While it's called today, never discount yourself because by you thinking outside of the box, you will grow and you will come up with something amazing because you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose and the world does need you. And as you think outside of the box, as you go outside of that box, as you realize and discover that there really never ever was a box that's when real growth happens. And more importantly, that's when change, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of the people that we were created to serve, that's when change really starts happening in their life. And I thank you for it. And I herald you as the thriving entrepreneur that you are every moment of every day. Thanks for being with me here today. I hope that until we're together again next time, You have a great week.
0: Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time.